Hello and welcome. You're listening to Architecturally Speaking, a podcast series created by the Ontario Association of Architects. We'll be pulling back the curtain to explore the architecture profession, what architects do, and how their buildings affect our lives each and every day. My name is Ryan Schwartz. I'm a licensed architect here in Ontario and your host for this series. And today we'll be speaking with Carl Van S. about all things sustainability, including some things you can do to improve your own home. Uh, Carl's an architect in Toronto with a big interest in sustainable design. He's worked on a variety of large projects locally and internationally. And right now he's an architect and project manager at BDP Quadrangle. Carl, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So our last guest was um, a sole practitioner architect. She had her own firm, basically ran the show herself. And now you're kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum working for Quadrangle, which is a huge company with offices all over the world, hundreds of employees. So how is that uh, different? How, is it, how do you feel working there? Uh, it really feels like you're part of a global community and solving problems at a city and global level, I guess. I came from the small residential uh, industry uh, previously, and it, that was really nice because you got the you got to see uh, how a building was built at a very small scale. But um, at BDP Quadrangle, we really are just seeing how how cities and uh, countries are really developing, which is exciting to be part of. Really, that's cool. So it's yeah, you've been kind of just scaled up in terms of the the company and also the projects and the the scope of work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and you're also part of the green team at uh, BDP Quandrigal. So can you explain a little bit what that is? Yeah, so we're a group of uh, six or seven people um, uh, who consult on uh, sustainability, both within our own practice and for uh, our clients. So a client may come to us with a sustainable problem or they may not know what they're looking for um, on their projects. So we'll sit down with uh, the project lead on the project and the client directly and, and talk about what their needs might be uh, to achieve their goals. Some, a lot okay, of the time so they don't even uh, know what they're looking for. So that's that's kind of where we come in. That's fair. So they, a client comes to you and they have a new project and they say, we want to be sustainable or build in a sustainable way, but we don't even know where to begin. And that's kind of where this consulting team comes in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so the climate change emergency, this is quickly becoming one of the defining challenges of our time, right? And the, the, as we look back, it's only going to become more and more important, I think. So, um, the OAA, which regulates architecture, uh, for the public interest, they've, they've actually introduced climate action as kind of an overriding theme for their, basically everything for their, the next five years as part of the strategic plan. So this is clearly something that's important to the profession. So. Um, how are climate change and architecture related? Because I think it's kind of this quiet culprit that a lot of people don't think about. It's a lot of the, a lot of the time it's vehicles and, and emissions, but then buildings account for such a huge portion of climate change that a lot of people don't even realize. So how are these related? Well, the building industry itself is probably the largest emitter of uh, greenhouse gases, um, uh, pretty much out of any of the other industries. And it's it kind of, a lot of people, when they think about architecture, they just think about the, the finished product um, and the buildings that people use. But uh, it really starts when, on site when, when industries and are essentially extracting the raw materials out of the ground and then taking those materials, producing, producing them into 
components that make up a building, such as windows, doors, structure, what have you. Um, and then there's the construction process, uh, the, uh, which contributes to a lot of the the emissions we have as well. Um, and then that kind of just goes right through into the the operation of the building and through its disassembly. So um, when when we're thinking about buildings and carbon emissions, it's not just the the building and its its life and operation. It's the the entire process from really start to finish. Um, and there's a there's a lot of ways that we do emit carbon. Um, uh, it the 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 best way to put it is we we design our buildings quite poorly um, by code <laughs> as a standard and the uh, the amount of energy and uh, for uh, the amount of energy we need to essentially operate our buildings is is so far in excess of what we actually need if a building was done or designed properly uh, right. so we end up. Um, creating a lot of problems for ourselves just in in just building to minimum standards, and yep. um, yeah. So, sorry, I've forgotten the question. I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's great. And you, you mentioned building codes, and that was something I was going to jump into later. So we can just touch on that now and how it's it's really just a minimum standard. This is. Mm-hmm the bare minimum that you can build a building to, but then like, is that enough? What can things be, obviously things can be better. So what, maybe you can speak to that for a minute. Yeah. So they definitely need to be better and, and should be better. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we can do that. Um, and a lot of people are aware of like different rating systems and, and, and things like that to kind of guide us through the process. Um, some of the most, um, uh, some of the like leading uh, sustainable radio systems uh, are like LEED and, and Passive House, which is starting to to really become more in the public eye. Um, and it, they have two completely different ways of viewing sustainability, um, which we, um, with the LEED, for example, is what we would call a reference uh, standard versus Passive House, which is more of a performance um, metric. And the way to think about it is with LEED, and a reference standard, uh, you're essentially just trying to create a building, a better building based on a reference project that may or may not be good. So um, <laughs> it's more so, of a checklist, right? Like you're, you're just trying to yeah. check boxes that we get points as a point system, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, LEED was one of the first uh, pe- uh, teams to kind of come out, come up with a, a green system. So they did a lot of the heavy lifting kind of at the beginning of the green revolution. But, um, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's quite a flawed system because if you're kind of benchmarking off of an already poor building, there's no indication yes. of whether or not you're doing a good job, actually. So uh, uh, I'm a, more of a proponent of a performance-based uh, metric, and the such as Passive House, and the City of Toronto through the TGS has taken a similar approach. And with performance targets, is um, you're not kind of basing it on like a poor performing building that might have been a standard or how we would have built something in the past. It's, it's looking at what, what are the targets for energy uh, use in our buildings uh, that we actually need to achieve to, to hit a, a, a good threshold for design. Okay. And you mentioned um, TGS. Can you explain what that is for those who don't know? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's a, a local Toronto term, but it stands for the Toronto Green Standard. Um, it's a municipal standard that all that all essentially new developments um, in the city need to to adhere to. 
but it also forms as a benchmark for other municipalities who who may just be starting to think about uh, right. uh, green standards for their own municipalities. So, um, it, yeah, we often refer to the TGS. I mean, it's, it's a little bit Toronto-centric, but it, it does kind of set the, the standard for, for the municipality. And okay. um, yeah, there's, and there's different um, things within the TGS uh, dealing with different types of the buildings, uh, things uh, to do with uh, energy use, um, and things like that. And that's more performance-based then as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. And then you also mentioned uh, Passive House, and that's, again, kind of more performance-based as opposed to the LEED standard. So that's <laughs> something that people may have heard of. So what what is a Passive House? What what does that even mean? So Passive House really just deals with post-heating and post-cooling of space. And um, that's uh, that's a fancy way to just say, um, how do we look at a, a an occupied space um, after we've supplied heat in a building um, or cooling in a building? So rather than just um, continually relying on generating new heat and new cooling to service space, how can we reuse the heat and, and cooling that we've already generated to uh, uh, just to make more efficient use of, of what we already have? Um, and maybe if you don't mind, I, um, I'd like to take a, kind of take a step back and just maybe talk about the TGS again, because there's yeah, three, totally. there's, yeah, there's three kind of core metrics within the TGS that I think are really helpful for, for understanding how buildings function and how we, how we look at building performance as it relates to, uh, climate change. And the first metric is, uh, EUI, uh, which stands for energy use intensity. And, and that's really energy use intensity is really just an indicator of how efficient your building is. So um, imagine imagine your house, you have certain uh, requirements for energy, whether it be to charge your phone, to charge your um, microwave, to run a furnace, all of the things in your house take up energy. Uh, so um, a, a house will have a different EUI target versus like an IT hub or some kind of science building with a lot of technology and software and right, right. heating and cooling loads. So EUI is really just a measure of how much energy you, your building needs. So uh, the goal with with within EUI is to is to bring that number down as close to zero as possible, so that um, you know the the less energy you're using, the better. And there's a lot of different ways we can do that in buildings, whether it's a house or some science center it's uh uh it's it's the it's the lighting you use like are we using efficient lighting um how how good is our envelope is it is there a lot of insulation is there not a lot of insulation is it airtight um what kind of mechanical systems are we using so there's a lot of there's a lot of different things we can do to architecturally to to decrease the ui um the the second metric is called uh, TEDI, which stands for Thermal Energy Demand Intensity. And that's a little bit like EUI um, in that, except it only deals with heat demand in a building. So okay. um, how much heat you need to supply into a space. So imagine imagine where you're in your house or in your condo and uh, think about all of the different ways that heat um, 
is or escaping. <laughs> heat is escaping and the amount of the ways heat is being generated. So uh, in terms of heat generation, you know, we obviously have the the sun that comes through our window and heats our space. We have we have our light bulbs, our our laptops and and electronics and and our body heat. So that's that's all different types of heat that that contributes to heating a space. And then we like you said, we have our heat losses. And those uh, usually happen through our walls or windows or slabs or roofs. And generally speaking, uh, because our buildings are poor performers, generally right. speaking, um, the heat losses generally outweigh the, the heat gains that we have. So Teddy right. is the amount of additional heating demand you need to bring your space to an equilibrium and uh, suitable Make for, up for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then the last metric is GHGI, which stands for greenhouse gas intensity. And that's just a, a measure of your greenhouse gas emissions um, um, in terms of energy um, that's produced by your building through space heating and things like that. And the, the critical thing to think about with greenhouse gas intensity is, is it's all about fuel selection. Um, we're we as an industry are really just trying to move away from fossil fuels in general. And it really becomes a choice about whether we should go with natural gas or electricity. And the carbon emissions in natural gas far outweigh electricity. So the simplest way to solve the GHGI issue or greenhouse gas emission issue from an energy perspective is just to choose electricity as much as possible. Um, Houses specifically love natural gas because they have that ability for you know the chef's kitchen, that gas stove. It's it's right. really it's it's really attractive to people, but it's we really need to start changing people's mindset and getting them onto onto electric stoves specifically, and okay. and just for energy generation in their home. And how would you say something like a house, a small scale house? Because obviously we live in in Canada where it's it can be cold. But how would you say the difference, um, or what is the difference, I guess, between a house, like a small building, and say a larger project, like an office building? Because I know in a house, maybe it's it's trying to keep it warm, but then an office building could be the exact opposite and really trying to keep it cool some of the time. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say the biggest the biggest difference between uh, a single family house and a large building is that there's single family housing is yeah. I, so I'm trying to find a f way to say it, but sing okay, so single family housing, you think of like the stick frame house, right? And we put our insulation um, in between the studs uh, and then we, we add our air vapor, our moisture barriers and uh, and our cladding. And, you know, that's, that's the house. Um, but there's a lot of air leakage and a heat loss that happens in these inner houses because, you know, while the insulation might be... Um, very good in, in in terms of retaining heat. There's a lot of heat transfer through our studs. Um, so while you know you may you may buy a house or you may buy some insulation that says it's R, whatever, like say R10 or 20 or 30, the 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 actual performance of the wall is a lot less of that than that because of the the heat loss through the studs. So um, one of the, the one of the ways we can mitigate that is by adding insulation on the outside and, and improving air tightness so right. that you're creating more of a, a winter jacket or, or around your house and allowing heat loss not to happen as much. Um, and right. I guess the difference with between that and a, a larger building is that 
we tend to to do that uh, already on larger buildings. Where that becomes a little bit muddy is with um, with window wall systems and uh, like these really large glass buildings that we see in Toronto, where where it's right. where these buildings are just one hundred percent glass and and there's absolutely just no insulation. So that's really where we're seeing the breakdown in in the larger buildings is is making sure we're providing enough of, uh, of, of a real envelope or enough insulation on the outside so that we're giving the building the ability to, to retain heat. Right. Do you see, yeah, exactly what you said. I think a lot of these downtowns are just all glass buildings. Do you see us moving away from that a little bit in the future? Will it be less, less glass or just maybe more efficient glass? We're, we're being forced to by a lot of different parties. So obviously the, the TGS locally or the Toronto Green Standard is is one way. Um, you simply cannot get away with building a glass tower in Toronto anymore. You will just not meet your, your energy uh, performance targets. Um, but when you think more globally, um, uh, there's also, there are a lot of organizations and countries that are, are working to to mandate that as well. So um, like in 20, uh, 2015, there was the Paris Agreement, and that was an agreement between uh, 195 countries, and Canada included, to to limit global warming by 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, okay. And the um, so the Paris Agreement essentially just sent the global benchmark for for what the standard in terms of uh, emissions and uh, global warming can be, and then there's every country and every there's a lot of organizations that have kind of taken that as a mandate and started to um, either enforce or, or recommend that uh, in our industry uh, one of the leading organizations is architecture 2030 and and one of their jobs is to provide um, guidance as as a global group of architects to to the the global architecture community uh, and to see how we can reduce our our building emissions as as a as an industry, and uh, so between between organizations like Twenty Thirty and the TGS, there's there's a lot of people working to to shift things. To shift things, yeah. yeah. Right. And how receptive are clients to this? I'm because it's one thing to force people and regulate them, and and that works, but then. Do you find that clients, is this something that they want to do when they when they come to you and say, oh, we're looking to build the new office tower, um, you know, we're thinking of building sustainably, or is this something that you have to push on them? Uh, it really depends on the clients. We get some clients that are fantastic and really want to be the game changers because they see that not only is the right thing to do, but as a as a marketing incentive, because right. the, the, the people that are buying houses are, are, are younger and more knowledgeable on sustainability matters so um, they are starting to demand more of that and uh, developers uh, a lot most of them are recognizing that there are some that kind of want to do it the way they've been doing it for for 30 years right. but the old guards yeah yeah, yeah. Want to change. <laughs> but but the the good news with that is that we do have at least in toronto mechanisms to kind of enforce a certain level of good behavior um right. like the tgs so um I think uh, one of the larger problems is just as an industry within Toronto and Canada is um, we we have been doing something the same way for so long. It, uh, we do have to educate 
and, and build up the industry to to accommodate it. Like even if we wanted to all just do net zero buildings today, it would it would take a generation to to get the infrastructure in place to to do it. So uh, it's it's really just about acting now and and getting people on board. But the good news is that it's uh, society seems to be taking it more seriously now. And mm-hmm. and purchasers and developers are 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 leading that. Because you're right, it's a very slow moving industry, right? Construction people have been doing it the same. It hasn't changed very much in the last hundred years. So how do you educate your clients or just the general public on this kind of stuff? How do you when someone comes to you and maybe they don't want to, you know, for financial reasons or something, maybe they don't want to introduce something green. How do you kind of educate them? Well, it's really just about tailoring the solution to their their needs. Um, like when people think about sustainability, like they tend to think about the flashy uh, things like uh, solar turbines or or solar panels or uh, or wind turbines, excuse me, and solar panels. But generally speaking, that's kind of like the last thing you want to do in terms of providing a good building. The best thing you can t- do on a building is just improve your insulation and air tightness, so so you're not dealing with a lot of heat loss through our through your walls and and that's something very basic that a lot of people can understand and and get behind where it becomes challenging in the residential market where which is my expertise is the the the, the difference between say like a condo building versus a a rental building um, or a home that someone would would own so with um with a condo building or a house that someone's developed, there's no long-term investment in that building. So they just want to build it as, as they being the developer or the, the uh, whether it be a big building or a small building, they just want to get it built and, and out. And, you know, after... Hand it off. Yeah, and hand it off. So there's no, yeah, there's no long-term kind of investment into that property. But with, with a rental building where a developer has a long-term ownership of the building, energy performance matters because they have to take care of the operation of the building, all of the maintenance costs, and the same would apply for a single family house. So um, when you're dealing with a client, uh, whether it be for a house or for a building that, that's going to have a long-term ownership of that project, it's, it's a much easier discussion because they care about their building and they want it to do well, if not anything, but for the money they're saving long-term in their buildings. So um, the challenge is really on the condo side or the the developer side, and, and how do you get those uh, people to to pay attention and to do the right thing? And uh, I keep defaulting back to the, the Toronto Green Standard um, because um, it, it it's such an effective tool we have to to enforce change, and it mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like that, but it, it it's when it comes from the government, it's a lot easier to to do the right thing because you're you're forced to. So it's 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 educating those clients about well, okay, this is what you have to do. So if you if you have to do it, let's just do it in the most economical way that makes sense for your project um, while doing the right thing. <laughs> so a lot of this, then I guess, is driven by budgets and finance. It seems like, and and here's kind of a loaded question, I guess. Like, is it more expensive to build? in a sustainable way or a green way. And I guess there's two ways to frame that because there's kind of short term, like you mentioned, if, you know, the upfront costs of building the building, but then generally if someone's building a building, they want it to last for a hundred years or more. 
And so there's kind of the long-term perspective and the energy saving. So what would you say, you know, is it more expensive? How would you uh, say, what would you say to that? It is. I mean, I, I think it's it's best to be honest in that it's more expensive, at least at the time of building the building, because generally speaking, you are paying for more insulation, maybe better quality materials, things that you wouldn't have to put in in just a base building. But uh, if you look at any kind of long-term finances, no matter what the size of the building, the the payback in the savings you get in, in energy costs and operation costs and maintenance costs, it's there's no question which is the better thing to do. It's uh, it, generally speaking, the the, uh, the the upfront cost to doing like a passive house building, for example, or something that's better than code can be anywhere between two and ten percent. I would say generally that six. Okay, that's not that's not very much. Actually. No, not not very much, especially on like a large building that's like multi million dollars worth. Yeah. it's what's two percent to to do a good building. Um, it it can be a harder. Uh, challenge on a single family house where, you know, if, if you only have a limited amount of savings and you want to renovate your house or, uh, you know, you don't have this huge portfolio of buildings, every dollar matters right. that, that counts. But, um, when you're, when you're staying in a space for, you know, for more than the time it takes to build it, the, the payback is, is, uh, is substantial, um, to the point where like, there's a lot of conversations about net zero buildings, um, which mm -hmm. is essentially you're just uh, producing as much energy um, on site as you are uh, using it. But there's a step right. further you can take, which is net positive, where you're producing more energy than you need. And in, in cases like that, you can actually sell that energy back to the grid and make money. So um, it doesn't always have to be about losing money. It can be about the wins too. Um, and, and what your building can do, not, um, and not just in the money-making sense, but also in the, the, all the other benefits that a, that a sustainability building, sustainable building will give you, uh, such as better into, uh, better lighting, better ventilation, better, um, interior, uh, comfort. So not only are you paying this extra two to 10% for, for better building performance, it's, you're getting all these added benefits too. So it's, it's really a no brainer. It's those those uh, intangibles that are hard to quantify. Just it's, yeah. it's a healthier building. You feel better, and but maybe you're making money off on the side by selling yeah, energy back exactly. into the There's grid. There's a side hustle things. in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, what can people do to their own house? Say you're you're building a, a new house today, or you're renovating. What's what are some thing some things that people can do to their their own house? Um, and where where is the value? Like what what are they going to get sort of the most bang for their buck, or what what makes sense in your eyes? Well, the bet it it always comes down to insulation and air tightness. Whether you're building a new building or or half of a building that you'd like to renovate, uh, like I had mentioned before, the the way we've kind of built in the past, you know, I live in a hundred year home that doesn't really even have insulation. So, you know, I'm actually a, a very poor example. I haven't actually done it myself, but um, the best thing, and and the, the, ins the houses with insulation or that do have insulation only have it between the studs typically. So um, while the insulation is doing a good job, there's a lot of heat loss through the studs. So the best thing people can do is is to overclad the, the studs with, with more insulation if it's possible so that you're creating a kind of a thermal blanket around your, your house. 
and right. and then making sure that uh, your building's airtight because a lot of heat loss is just caused by different um, pressures, air pressures between the inside air and the outside air, um, as well as the wind. So um, all of those different things kind of contribute to heat moving from inside and out. Um, and uh, one of the worst things is um, moisture. Like a lot of ho old houses have a lot of, of, of rot or mold and even like newer condos, um, they get a lot mm -hmm. of rotten mold. And that's not due to like lack of insulation as much as it is uh, moisture being transferred from inside and out. And, right. uh, and that's, that's air tightness and, and making sure you have an airtight building is, is critical for that. The, uh, and when people think about moisture, like the, you know, you, you tend to think about like rain or snow or things from the outside coming in, but the, the worst offender is actually the, the moisture in our mouths. Um, like okay. when we're speaking, like we're kind of just yep. spraying a bit. Right. And, yep. um, in these, in our leaky buildings, that's that difference in air pressure is, is kind of pulling that moisture into, into the walls and creating the mold. So the air barrier essentially just stops that. So to answer your initial question, the getting prefer, per, getting improved uh, insulation and and um, R value in your walls with uh, with air tightness is is the best thing you can do and and once you've achieved that you can start to look at things like solar panels and and things to kind of offset that um, another right. thing another thing you can look at is is HRVs which are heat recovery ventilators and okay. and the best way to think about an HRV is that it's it's an air conditioner that goes two ways. It does uh, cooling and heating, but it has a third benefit in that it ventilates as well. So not only is it providing hot air, cold air, it's also providing fresh, fresh air ventilation into the suite. So um, it's uh, if if you have a house with an air conditioner, the best thing you can do is just swap it in for an HOV because you're getting way more benefit out of a system that is far more energy efficient. Okay, that's great, and it's kind of doing the same thing, but you're getting you're getting way more out of it. Yeah, yeah, and and like in a in the case of a passive house, what's great about um, what's great about Nature V is that if you if you designed a passive house, the the building envelope is is in theory so airtight and so well insulated that you you don't really need a traditional furnace. Like um, you could get away with Nature V if it's that well performing. Um, or or offset it with a smaller system like a heat pump, uh, which just essentially just takes stale um, air or heat or, and recirculates it. So with passive house systems or, in, or just in, with sustainable design in general, the mechanical systems tend to get smaller because your envelopes are getting better. So you're, you're, you don't need as much mechanical movement because it, it's not doing as much work. And there's less things to break down in the future, and less <laughs> issues. And yeah, exactly. So um, essentially, these houses take care of themselves if they're if they're designed properly. That's very cool. And what about um, any new emerging materials or technology? And and one that I was going to bring up was was mass timber. Um, mm -hmm. This is kind of a new a new thing. And I was just wondering if you could speak to that for a moment. Yeah, mass timber is really exciting. Um, so the, the the best thing about massive timber or mass timber is that it's it's a renewable resource. Like we can essentially take it from the earth and in theory grow something back in its place. 
um, versus like steel or, or concrete, which take a lot of energy to, to extract and produce. Um, mass timber generally has about half of what we would call the embodied carbon, which is the like carbon it takes to essentially, yeah, extract the materials. The and material. Yeah, right. exactly. So, um, mass timber is really exciting in that sense because it is a natural material. It's, it's generally readily available. Um, there are some drawbacks. It's it's because it is such a kind of we we stopped building with wood like a generation ago um, on 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 large buildings and it's starting to come back. But there's the science isn't perfect and that's also kind of what makes it exciting. Um, but when we're designing buildings, there are like real questions about how sustainable it is, how sustainable it is, and some of that it may come down to was it harvested from a uh, like the, a proper forest or was it right. of, um, was it harvested unsustainably? Where is it coming from? Are we getting our uh, our wood building in Toronto from, from the wood from like a Norwegian forest or from Vancouver? So there's like transportation costs that go into that. So uh, it's right. really exciting, but there's a lot to think about and in, in, uh, when thinking about using mass timber. Um, but uh, as I was saying, the as the industry starts to to take this on more, uh, it's uh, a lot of these questions become a lot clearer, and 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 there'll be more opportunity for, to do it more sustainably. Uh, what? So, I'm not sure if you're, you're leading me here, but so like one of the the projects our office has done <laughs> is 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 80 Atlantic, and it was built in. Um, uh, just a few years ago, and it's recently won a Governor's General Award, and it was the first uh, commercial building built in Ontario in in a generation. It's a five-story mass timber building uh, made out of glue lam, which is just laminated, uh, or sorry, not glue lam, GLT, uh, glue laminated timber, uh, which is essentially just okay. timber that's uh, been glued together. Lots um, and lots of sheets, or yeah, yeah. or strands. I guess it could be either. Yeah, way. Yep. exactly. So it's it's a really exciting uh, uh, project for us because uh, because of all the the benefits of of timber, and and the fact that we can we can show people that a timber and and wood is safe to build with. Um, like a lot of people tend to like the security of, of steel or concrete buildings because it's, you know, it's rough, it's, it's solid. It's tried it'll, and true. Yeah. Tried yep. and true. Um, but that, uh, and there's just a lot of, um, thoughts around timber that just aren't true. Like it's, it's a fantastic building material and we live in like, like a contemporary society and, and the, the fears of like the Chicago fire happening here just, it's, with mass timber. I don't think that could happen no. <laughs> anymore, right? That we've, yeah, we've sort of solved that issue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mentioned it to you before we got off the air, uh, a few days ago, but, uh, the best way to think about, uh, timber in, in a building is imagine starting a fire and putting a giant log in it. Like you could try and light it for hours and it's just not going to burn because it has such a, um, low rate of combustion because it's so dense. Um, Such a heavy piece of material. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Steel and concrete are going to fail well below, well before a mass timber building. So um, 
but a lot of it is just public perception and getting people comfortable with the idea that not only is it safe, it's it's the best thing we can we can do for our planet is to to build with more timber. Okay, that's great. And and where do you see the future of buildings and architecture? And and you can kind of set the the timeline wherever you want here: twenty years, fifty years, a hundred years. Like where where are we headed? Well, it, I, to kind of look to the future, you have to look to the past. And I think we're we're leaving an architectural age of the Starchitect, where it's these grandiose buildings with like amazing forms and showy architecture that that may wow people. But you know, you look at any of these buildings, and they're they're terrible performers. They're um, leaking and they're cold. <laughs> yeah, they they emit tons of greenhouse gases. Uh, tons of carbon emissions like they're they're terrible um the future has to be in more responsible architecture i believe and designing our buildings to to meet their own needs first um and and it's that's not the that's not the exciting answer but it's it's the answer that i think we need to start having with ourselves and how we can how we can design better buildings um collectively and and just taking care of like your own building your own site before um before anything else okay yeah that's great um so now we're just going to quickly move into some uh some little rapid fire questions and then we can we can kind of wrap up and go from there so um do you have any favorite buildings or cities um to visit in terms of architecture oh um okay so my favorite building this isn't a sustainable area but i have to say it my favorite building is uh, <laughs> the sagrada familia by antonio gaudi or Antti, okay, Antti yep. Gatti, and uh, it's been uh, under construction for hundreds of years, um, and it's still unfinished. But um, not done, right? <laughs> no, it's not done. But it was the it was the building that got me, um, it made me fall in love with architecture because there's just a, such exquisite detailing um, in every corner of the building, and uh, you you can't go in that building or around it without being filled with a sense of wonder. So people should check that one out. Yeah, the uh, Sagrada Familia. Um, so if there was no budget or building code constraints, you actually kind of alluded to this a little earlier, what would you change about your house uh, <laughs> aside from insulation maybe? <laughs> yeah, well, so yeah, well, I, I definitely insulate it for sure and, and make it airtight. It's it's a, it's a row house in Toronto, um, brick building. Um, and then I, I would definitely take out my furnace. Um, uh, swap out my air conditioner with an HRV and then look at uh, uh, a heat pump to offset any um, kind of additional heating uh, requirements I might need. Right. Um, okay. And then, you know, if I've got a few extra bucks lying around, I'd probably add <laughs> some solar panels. But um, uh, that's probably what I would do. And, and what's great is that we also have um, in Canada the, the Greener Homes Grant. And so, like, if, if there's other people like me that are interested in doing it, the government's very interested in, in helping people out. Uh, you can get grants up to $5,000 for retrofits and I think loans for... That's great. Tax-free loans for up to $40,000. So there's oh, resources amazing. out out there for other people too. Um, okay. People should check that out then for yeah. sure. What, what was that called? The, the Green Homes Grant? Uh, yeah. I think it's... I have it on my other window. Let me check it out. Yeah. Canada Greener Homes okay. Initiative. Okay. Great. Yeah. And um, okay. Fill in the blank here. The best buildings are blank. Comfortable. Good answer. 
And um, for people that want to learn more about architecture, are there any resources you can re recommend, books, websites, um, anything like that? Well, yeah, there's there's lots. I, I think, um, look, I, I've, I've talked a lot about like lead versus passive. I think if people are generally interested in, in learning more about sustainable design, you don't have to be an expert to, to understand passive house, but passive house is, is probably the best place to look. Um, okay. there's, uh, oh, um, and this house with an H A U S I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That's the German spelling that was, um, started right. in Germany. <laughs> okay. Well, um, that's great. Yeah. Um, and that will wrap up this episode of Architecturally Speaking. We've been chatting with Carl Van Ness. He's an architect at BDP Quandregel in Toronto and an expert in sustainability. Um, thanks again for, for sharing your time and your thoughts. Um, where can people find out more about you or, or get in touch? Um, you could find me at the BDP Quadrangle website. Um, my contact's there. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram um, under the names uh, you just said. <laughs> okay, great. And we're recording many more episodes of this podcast over the weeks to come. If you have a question about architecture or know someone who would make a great guest, or just want to offer some feedback, please drop us an email at podcast at oaa.on.ca. Uh, you can also find out more about the Ontario Association of Architects and how it regulates architecture throughout the province by visiting oaa.on.ca. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, tell your friends. Uh, Architecturally Speaking is available wherever you get your podcasts and also on the OAA's YouTube channel. Be sure to check that out for the full video version. Like and subscribe to be notified when the next episode comes out. And until next time, I'm Ryan Schwartz, and this is Architecturally Speaking. <laughs>